the month of March, we're talking about eternal destinies, which everybody, because of uh, COVID, everybody's uh, worried about, you know, am I going to die about this? I figured it'd be a good thing to talk about. I'm just getting to actually plan this back in December. So this is just, it just so happens to line up. And we're talking about, uh, we talked about hell and heaven at the beginning of the month. And we looked about what the Bible said about hell and how a place was, hell was a place of spiritual existence after our death, which is a place of torment. And then on the other side, we talked about heaven and uh, how it was a much better place and how heaven is where, sort of where we can say God makes his presence most fully known and how there are angels in heaven and people are in heaven worshiping God. It's a place of spiritual existence with no body, no physical body. And we get to heaven by taking the Jesus road. Uh, Jesus made the way to heaven by dying on the cross for our sins. And once we give him our sins, we say, Jesus, I trust that you died for my sins. Uh, once we give him our sins and follow him in faith, uh, we're, we're on our way to heaven. We're on the Jesus road. And in the final two messages of this month, we're looking at the lake of fire, which is this week, which is not the easier of the two to talk about. Uh, much more exciting is next week, the new heavens and the new earth. I look forward to talking about that way more, because that's, you know, we're on the way to the new heavens and the new earth, which is exciting and fun. But you got to talk about the lake of fire, because it is a real place that God will use in the future. And in order to understand, as we talk about the lake of fire, as we talk about the new heavens and the new earth, in order to understand why these two places exist, we have to talk about two end-time events. The resurrection of the dead and judgment day. God has scheduled them for the future in his time. And the resurrection of the dead and judgment day will be the last events that happen on this earth. And we'll talk about the resurrection of the dead first. And this is sort of my intro story. Normally in the beginning of a sermon, I like to have a bit of a story that ties in the message. For this week, we're talking about future events. That's the time. That's about the best I can do. The resurrection of the dead is a future event where God will take the spirits of every person who's ever existed and reunite them with their bodies. When you die, your I'm, telling you, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. When you die, your body and spirit are separated. We believe as Christians that God gave us a spirit that indwells a body. God made you both body and spirit. But when you die, your body and spirit are separated. In the resurrection of the dead, God undoes what happens at death. He takes your spirit, which will keep existing, and your body, which will decompose. He'll take your body, reconstitute it, and stick your spirit back to it. So the resurrection of the dead is something that will happen in the future. It will happen actually also in two ways. Uh, and the resurrection of the dead is different from reincarnation. If you think, oh, well, this is just reincarnation. It's not reincarnation. You're not coming back as like a frog or a fly. You're coming back as the same person you were before. Bible. Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 to 5. It says, I saw the soul, souls of those who have been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image. And this is all Revelation stuff, which is probably confusing, but the important part is that these people who died for their testimony to Jesus, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And it says in verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection of the dead. And in the re first resurrection of the dead, God takes every single Christian who has died and brings them back to life to reign with Christ for a thousand years, which is an event called the millennium. Uh, Christ will actually reign on the earth with resurrected believers for a thousand years. This is what we call uh, premillennialism. Jesus brings all the resurrected back to life and then reigns with them for a thousand years. Standard Christian doctrine for the 
last 2,000 years. Uh, but the major takeaway here is the fact that the dead will be resurrected. Sometime in the future, God will bring back to life everyone who has died. The saved will come back and reign with Jesus for a thousand years, which is exciting and is cool, which means you're going to have your body and be living on this earth as you are existing now for a thousand years, not able to die, not able to be harmed or injured for a thousand years with Jesus. It's going to be an awesome time. It's going to be like an amazing party. Jesus will be there. You'll be there. You'll be on this earth for a thousand years. But after this thousand years, God brings everybody back to life and has what's called the final judgment. So there is a mass resurrection of the dead, which is followed by Judgment Day. And Judgment Day happens after the dead are resurrected. It's an event where it gathers, God gathers everyone together who has ever lived and judges them. And God is the only person who can adequately judge everyone, which is why when Jesus says, don't judge other people, he's saying, not because judging is wrong, but because we can't judge well. We judge only based on what we see for a limited amount of time. Even if that limited amount of time is just a few years, you only see what people are doing on the outside. You don't know what's going on in their hearts. You don't know what's going on in their minds. Which is why God says don't judge people. But God sees all that. God has a perfect memory of every thought that you've ever had, every action you've ever done, anything that's ever been done by you or done to you. God knows all that so he can make an accurate judgment of your life. But what Jesus will do is one day he will gather up everybody together. All the billions and billions of people that have ever existed and will ever exist will be together at one point in time. It's going to be a big crowd. And Jesus will judge people on whether or not they trusted him. And this is in Revelation. Uh, we'll be talking about this. Uh, Revelation chapter 20, chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was opened. So this is John observing what he sees on Judgment Day. And on Judgment Day, God has books. He could just put it on a tablet, but this is old school, so he does books. He's got books and books and books of everything anyone has ever done. And then he has a smaller book with everyone who's trusted Jesus written in it. And if, you did, if you're not found in this smaller book, where Jesus has, or he has the names of everybody who's trusted him, Written down. You're judged based on what you what you did, which is a terrifying thought. If people trusted Jesus, they're rewarded for their behavior. On Judgment Day, it's actually a good thing for us because we get rewards. If you don't trust Jesus, if you didn't have a relationship with him, you get punished for what you've done. That's what it says in Revelation. So the lake of fire and the new heavens and the new earth come into play after the resurrection of the dead and the judgment. Meaning the lake of fire and the new heavens and the new earth are two places that are made by God that will exist in the future. You can't go there right now. They are the two ultimate ends of mankind. And this week we're examining the lake of fire and what the Bible says about it. Because ultimately, when it boils down to it, you're either going to end up in the lake of fire and the new heavens and the new earth. One is infinitely better than the other. And as we talk about the lake of fire, we're going to ask, what is it? And how do you get there? We don't want to go there, so we need to know how to get there so we don't go there. But first off, uh, we're going to look at what is it? What is the lake of fire? And the lake of fire is actually only mentioned by name towards the end of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 19, verses 19 to 20. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth who were with their armies, gathered to make war against him who was sitting on a horse against his army. Again, this is Revelation imagery. The forces of the enemy uh, will convince the hearts of men to fight against God. 
And Jesus appears from the heavens riding on a horse, because he's in charge. In medieval times, sorry, in, medieval, in ancient times, if a prince was coming into a city in peace, guess what he would ride on? War horse. If he was coming in peace, what would he ride on? Middle Eastern times, a king is coming into a city in peace. He rides on a, a donkey. If he's coming in to conquer, he rides on a white horse. Which is why in, we see Jesus riding into Jerusalem, he rides in on a donkey because he's called, and we don't catch this because we live in America you know, 2,000 years later. Why is Jesus riding on a donkey? Maybe there were out of horses, I don't know. No, he's riding in on a donkey because he comes in peace. He, when, he, when Jesus in Revelation comes in on a horse, people read this and they're like, man, he's coming to conquer. This is bad. It's like, yeah, he's coming to conquer because people are fighting against him. So when it says the beast was captured, and look at the false prophet, these are characters in Revelation, uh, in whom his presence had done the sign by which he received those being marked. The very last sentence, the two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. God tosses his adversaries into the lake of fire when he conquers them. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, uh, 2012 talks about the judgment, verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, people who trusted Jesus, that person was thrown into the lake of fire. Your name was not written in the book of life. So the lake of fire is the ultimate end for humanity apart from God. And somebody's going to hear that and say, but wait a second, I've heard my whole life that hell was the place that people go when they don't trust in God. Well, hell is a place for those who rebel against God's mercy. God wants to work in your life. God wants you to trust Jesus. God is trying to do something good in your life. And if you fight against what God's trying to do in your life, trying to draw you closer to him, if you resist God's work, you're going to go to hell when you die. But hell is not permanent. Hell is a temporary place for the spirits of those who have died. Because if we look in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, God actually takes death and Hades and throws them into the lake of fire. And Hades here is a Greek word for hell. And what happens after Judgment Day is God doesn't need hell anymore. So he, hell is this old, dilapidated building, and he's got to get rid of it. So he just folds it over and tosses it in the landfill. God won't need hell anymore because he'll use the lake of fire. But why does God need to make another place? Wait a second, if he's already got hell, why does he got to make the lake of fire? Is he making like more punishment there? Is he making it worse? Isn't hell bad enough? But remember... Hell is a place for dead people. People's spirits without bodies. And if God resurrects everyone, then they can't go back to hell, because hell is a place for people who have spirits but no bodies. So God has to use something else. A place where he can send the whole person. And that's the lake of fire, the ultimate end for the whole person. You rebelled against God with your whole being. Your whole life was spent not only spiritually rebelling against God, but using the body that God gave you to rebel against him, to fight against him, to ignore him, to do sinful things. And so as a result, because you have sinned against God with your whole person, he has to send you to a place of punishment for your whole person. Your whole being needs to be separated from God. So hell is where your spirit goes to await the resurrection and the judgment. And everyone in hell pretty much just transitions to the lake of fire, which is much more terrifying than hell. And that's why Revelation 20, verse 14, says it is the second death. The first death is our physical death. It's coming for us at some point in time. You will die someday. But the second death is a spiritual and bodily death. It's not just, what's the thing from Princess Bride? He's not just mostly dead, he needs to be all dead. 
So the second death is where you completely die. It is death for your body and for your spirit. And it's not a temporary state. It's eternal. Jesus describes it, and we're going to come back to Matthew 25 a lot. It's described as an eternal punishment. It's going to last forever. There's no annihilation here. God doesn't just make people stop existing. If you're in the lake of fire, you're there for eternity, forever, in torment. And then finally, the lake of fire is the final end for all spiritual beings who are resolved against God. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire, where the beast and the false prophet were. So all evil spirits are also tossed into the lake of fire. And this is a big side note. Bear with me. If you look, who is not in hell yet? Satan is not in hell. Demons and devils aren't in hell. And we often imagine Satan as being in charge in hell. Like you imagine, if you see comics, I think of Futurama. Whenever Fry goes to hell or a character goes to hell or Bender is in hell in Futurama, Satan's there. There's a robot Satan or whatever in hell. And we often, in our minds, picture Satan as sort of being in charge in hell. And you go to hell and the demons poke you with pitchforks or whatever. But if you look at the Bible, and the Bible teaches us anything, where are the demons? They're not in hell, they're here. They're picking on people. Their primary work is to fight against God by attacking God's kids. And biblically speaking, there is no evidence for Satan or demons in hell. Uh, Revelation chapter uh, 2 Peter 2, 20, uh, 24 says, God did chain up some angels in a place called Tartarus, which is the Greek word there, which means that uh, in Greek mythology, taking something from Greek mythology and explaining it here, uh, Tartarus in Greek mythology was a place where the Titans were chained. You guys know who Zeus was. Zeus beat the Titans and chained them, chained them in. So what Peter is doing is he's quoting this idea of Tartarus. He says, Greek mythology has this idea, which we don't believe in Greek mythology. There's no Zeus, there's no uh, Odin, there's no Thor, there's none of that stuff. There's no Apollo. But the idea of the fact that there are chained demonic beings that are so bad, that demons, the angels who rebelled against God, they were so bad, they were so destructive, God said, I can't let you lose. So he keeps them in a place where they will await judgment. Peter is saying, that is what God has done. So God chained up some of the worst rebellious angels. They are not in hell torturing people. They are awaiting their final judgment. And they'll be thrown into the lake of fire with Satan and other demons. So as you're hearing this, you go, man, this is a terrible place. And it is. What is the lake of fire? It is a place of physical and spiritual existence. And it is a place of physical and spiritual torment. It is eternal damnation for those who rebel against God. You go to lake of fire, you go there, you never come out. It is separation from God, or humans, and other spiritual beings. As we're going to look at next week, it's really good. The new heavens and the new earth are amazing. It's wonderful. It's closeness with God. It's intimacy with people. It is enjoyment and all that stuff. All the bad things are in the lake of fire. And I described it in the bottom basically as hell plus. It's not just hell. It's advanced hell. It's Because hell is just for spirits. The lake of fire, you got tortured fallen angels there. You've got tortured people there who are existing as a whole being. It's just not, it's just bad. So now we need to look at it and say, well, if it's so terrible, I don't want to go there. How do I avoid going there? How do, how do people get to the lake of fire? We get that question. Your wife said no. <laughs> I would, and I would agree with her. If you want to heckle, that's different. The best passage that 
if you have, if you have your Bible, flip to Matthew 25. Favorite passage on how people get to the lake of fire. I know I put the slides up here. But we'll look more at this passage next week. But for right now, Matthew 25 is one of the best passages on the final judgment and people either being rewarded for what they've done or sent to the lake of fire for what they didn't do. Matthew 25 deals with the final judgment. That when the Son of Man sits on his throne, come in his glory, and before him will be gathered all the nations. So this sounds like the resurrection, when everybody's gathered before him. Every single person who existed, from the first people God created to the last people that were born. Everybody, everybody's gathered before God. Jesus is sitting on his throne. He's glorious. He's in charge. Nobody's rebelling against him. And he's 110% the God. Nobody's fighting against him now because he is in charge. He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. Please note here, as he judges and divides between people, there are sheep and there are goats. There are not sheep, goats, horses, dogs, cats. There are two choices. That's it. You're either a sheep or a goat. Yeah, daily, and everybody wants to be a sheep, yes. He will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. This is the final judgment after the resurrection of the dead. Verse 41 tells us what Jesus says to those on his left hand, to the goats. What is he saying to the goats? He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? Why is he sending them to the eternal fire? Why is he sending them to the lake of fire? What have they done that was so bad? What could have earned this? Look at the next two verses. And this is, if nothing else, pay attention to this part. Jesus lists all the things they didn't do in this life. I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. They ignored the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, those in prison. And they didn't follow rule number one in the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what Jesus here says here represents a theme in the Bible regarding damnation. Because people always complain about hell. People always, you talk about Christianity, you talk to an unbeliever, you talk to somebody who's even like a new Christian, and they're like, I have a problem with hell. And you know what? i got a problem with hell too. I don't like hell. I just wish God would save everybody. Why doesn't God save everybody? Why does God have to make a place where all these bad people go? Why would God send people to hell for one little lie? And they always try to say, like, imagine a person who just did one little thing wrong. Why would God send them to hell for one little sin? It's not like I murdered people or stole millions of dollars. What did I do that was so bad that merited going to hell? And they always focus on, what did I do? What did I do that was so bad? But look at what Jesus says here. Does he point out anything they did? Jesus lays out here a very powerful truth for all humanity. It's not what we do that sends us to eternal damnation. It's what we don't do. Jesus explicitly says that people ignore what they should be doing with their lives. People are so focused on looking out for number one or having a good time 
They're so focused on themselves and their own satisfaction with life. Am I getting everything out of life? I'm locked in my house for a week. I can't do everything I want to do. It's been so terrible. I'm so concerned with myself that they people ignore the people around them who need help. They ignore God who calls out to them every day. They ignore what God put them on this earth to do. They missed out on their purpose for existing because they didn't see, or they didn't want to see, God present all around them. And as a result, they're sent to the nation because they ignore God. Look what Jesus says in verse 4. Jesus says, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. It's how we treat that one person at church that we'd rather not talk to. Maybe you're lucky, maybe they're not here. It's how we treat that, that next door neighbor that doesn't ever mow his lawn. And you just look across, you look out your window and you think, they still haven't mowed their lawn. And as a result, maybe you just don't talk to them as much. Maybe you don't say hi to their kid when he's out playing ball on the street. And that one person that just bugs you. It's how we treat people of a different race or different sex or different age or different religion or whatever. How we treat the person that we like the least is basically how we're treating God. And let me be clear here, this treating the least of these is humanity's default setting. You look in the history of mankind, we are always mistreating the least of these. And it's not just us as Americans, or even us as white Americans, or pick a, pick a race. It's people all over the world. We are born with a natural inclination to pride, to anger, to hatred, to bitterness. It's called sin. And sin will make us sinful people as we grow up. Now, we may not be bad people. We might not be a Stalin or a Napoleon. But our sin will cause us to ignore those that we are created to help. God created each of us to help those around us, to love those around us, to care about those around us. And if we ignore them, and we only care about the people we like or that we get along with, we are ignoring what God wants us to do. And unless we address our sin problem, we will be doomed. And God has made a way for us to deal with our sin problem. And he gives it to us freely, and he makes it universally acceptable. He sent Jesus to die on the cross on our behalf for our sin. And we can just go to Jesus and say, God, I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of focusing on myself. Help me to look at someone something beyond myself. And Jesus is like, I will help you with that. I am glad to help you with that. But if we reject Jesus, then we reject the only way to overcome and be rid of our sin. And there's one final point I need to make about the lake of fire. We talk about how to get there. If you look at Matthew 25, 31. One last thing I need to make that. We talk about getting there. Jesus says, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Who is the lake of fire prepared for and designed for? The devil and his angels. Satan and demons. It's not prepared or designed for humans. In God's plan for humanity, he never intended for us to end up in the lake of fire. He designed and intended people to have a relationship with himself. And I believe when he made Adam and Eve, he wanted them not to sin, and he intended for them not to sin. He didn't plan for them. He, he planned for them. When he made them, he didn't want them to sin. He wasn't like, you guys need to sin so I can send Jesus. 
He wanted us. He never designed humans with sending us there. The lake of fire was designed for the devil and his angels, not for us. He wanted us to be eternally with him. But there are some people that will not submit to God or follow God or acknowledge God. You know people like this who are like, I don't care. I don't care if there's a God. I don't care if Jesus wants me to. I don't, it's a bunch of, I, all I believe is what I can see and what can be empirically tested and what scientists tell me and that's the only thing I believe in. And people will reject and resist and will not submit to God and wouldn't follow God even if you look them right in the face. They'd be like, you know what? I don't care. Now, will God force those people to love him? No. Because forcing somebody to love you isn't real love. <laughs> I love my children, and I'm like, come give me a hug. And if Ben, who loves doing this, no, and I'll just walk away. <laughs> now, can I go up and be like, you're hugging me? Yes. But is that love? Well, I'm giving him love, but he <laughs> won't do it. Will God force us to hug him if we don't want to? Well, God forced us to love him. So he gives them, if God won't force us to love him, he has to come up with an alternative. And he says, you want it your own way? Fine, have it your way. Depart from me, because you have chosen this. And being separated from infinite, eternal joy and love and peace and Jesus, all these wonderful things, being separated from that, being separated from the very one that gives you anything good, that is the lake of fire. It's separation from God. So how do we get to the lake of fire? Much like how we get to hell. We ignore the people, we ignore God, we focus on ourselves, and we take the wide, easy way. Don't do anything different. That's the way to get to the lake of fire. With a stop off in hell. As we come to the end here, why are we talking about this? Wise and Sunday morning, talking about the lake of fire. And the obvious reason to talk about it is it's one of the two eternal ends for mankind. You're either going to go here or you're going to go to the good place. There's no third place where you can just kind of be mediocre. There's no mediocre middle ground. There's no purgatory where you can work your way in heaven. Okay, I was kind of bad. Can I maybe work my way in? No. The lake of fire is a real end that people will go into whether they realize it or not. So we need to talk about it because God warns us about it. God literally warns us about this all the time. He says, take the easy way and up and up there. But don't do it. It's not a scare tactic by God. He's just telling us the truth. And his hope is the truth would set us free from damnation. And there's two other points I want to talk about here. The lake of fire shows us how much God values us. Somebody's going to say, wait, sending people to a fiery punishment shows him valuing us? How did that show God is valuing us? But I would say, yes, God values what he has created in mankind. Remember, when God made everything, God made the heavens and the earth, and he formed the earth, and what's the last thing God made? Women. What's the thing he made right before that? Man. He made humanity. And you could say, woman is the pinnacle of creation. Man is the second place, right? Humanity is the pinnacle of creation. Of nothing else in all creation did God say, let us make mankind in our image. That's the Bible. That's page one. God makes all these wonderful animals and all these wonderful plants and stars and constellations and all this cool stuff. And he said, I'm going to make one thing in my image. And that's humanity. And God values the image of himself. 
that is in us. And he will not destroy that image. Instead, he will give that image its heart's desire. God says, I value people so much that whatever they want, I'll give them. And because we reflect God's image, we get what we set our hearts on. And either it will be, either it will be thy will be done, or my will be done. And either way, God respects the decision that we make in this life, which should be mind-boggling to us. The God who made the heavens and the earth, who shaped you and formed you, who decided what you were going to look like, who made you and knit you together, the one to whom we are nothing but dirt that he formed out of the ground, that guy allows us to choose him or to ignore him and to reject him. And either way, he gives us what we seek. And if we seek him, he gives us himself and so much more. Which we'll talk about next week. But if we don't seek after God, God ultimately has nothing to give us. He won't force his love or his goodness or his mercy upon us. He won't force you to love him. But he won't give us a nice place to ruin our rebellion. He won't say, I'll make this nice place, and you guys can trash it. So he has to say, I have nothing for you. Depart from me. And finally, this message, talk about the lake of fire, should make us pay attention to how we are acting today. In Jesus 25, in Matthew 25, Jesus chides the damned for ignoring those around him. He implies that their reason for existing was other people. I put you here to clothe the naked, and feed the hungry, and visit the sick. And they ignored them. And in doing so, ignored God. Which should make us all pause and consider our own life. What are we doing for the least of these around us? Is our heart attitude toward God, which should be positive and encouraging, is that heart attitude reflected in how we treat the least of these? We can say on Sunday morning, oh, I love Jesus so much, we just want to stand there and sing, and it's great, but do we walk out the door and then treat the least of these terribly? And as a reminder, we will all have to stand before Jesus in judgment someday. Jesus will look at your life and everything you did, everything you did along with everybody else on the planet. He will look over our lives and examine everything we did. And if we ignore, if we've ignored those around us who we were created to help, how happy do you think he's going to be with us on judgment day? Your name's in the book of life. Good job on trusting Jesus, but you ignored people your whole life. Do you think he's going to be happy with you? Probably not. Nobody's like, yes, thank you. Though we may not get thrown into the lake of fire, I suspect there will be many Christians who will have to endure a very frustrated Savior on Judgment Day. Which is a terrifying thought. So I don't need to warn you guys about going, uh, going to hell again, Which I'm glad, super encouraged by this. I've talked to you guys, I know many of you, the depth of your faith, which encourages me what I can encourage you with today is to say, how are we treating the least these? In a time when we're, you know, having being forced to isolate ourselves, and you have to be extra patient, and you don't want to go to the grocery store, you're really hoping your wife doesn't send you this morning because you're like, I don't want to go and deal with other people. How are you treating the least of these? As you're at Kroger, 
and somebody's haggling over something, or you're trying to reach for something, hey, I was going to grab that. Are you? What's your response? That person immediately becomes the least of these to you. You're in conflict with them. Are you going to respond in kindness? Are you going to respond with a closed fist? How are you going to respond? What we deal with in our houses, sometimes our spouse can become the least of these thoughts. They drive us up the wall sometimes. I know, I'm just telling the truth. Are you being kind to them? Are you extending patience and grace and love? Or are you demanding your own needs be met? 